Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. It's been a week since the Valentine's Day shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, where 17 students were killed and 15 injured. And there are reports that threats to schools have increased dramatically in the past week. And we learned that the FBI dropped the ball in responding to reports about the Douglas High School assailant. And to help us sort through all of the new information coming out, and what we should do to create safe schools in a 21st century learning environment. My guest today is safety and security expert and president of SSI Guardian, Michael Yorio. And SSI Guardian has set the new standard on advanced safety education training and is the only program of its kind offering continuing education credit from an accredited institution for educators who want to learn how to keep their schools safe. Michael Yorio, thanks so much for being with me again today. Uh, you've become my unofficial safety correspondent for the show, and sadly, we're having you on here more often than than you know we'd want to under these tragic circumstances. Uh, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Dr. Peggy. Always a pleasure to join you. But uh, to your point, very, very unfortunate and sad circumstances. Uh, it's becoming all too common here. Mm-hmm. And, Michael, you're based in southern uh, Florida. You live in Miami. Can you tell us what the climate and the tone has been like there over the past week as as we're recovering from the tragic shooting uh, in Parkland, Florida? It's really touching, a, striking a chord with the whole nation and especially our young people. Emotions are running at an all-time high in south Florida. I live about 45 minutes from Parkland, uh, I've been to the site twice um, since the incident, um, up there evaluating and doing other media spots. And the emotions are high. Everybody is frustrated. People want answers. Um, enough is enough seems to be the theme. Um, I, I can't imagine the, the, a parent going through such a loss. So you have an entire community that has been shattered. Um, people want action. Um, there are a lot of ideas floating around out there, and people do want action, uh, including myself. <clears throat> but we got to be careful that we remain focused on best practices and existing solutions that have been proven effective. Um, these things exist today. We can take immediate and short-term action throughout our nation, throughout every school, uh, if we follow these best practices and not try to create something or because it sounds good. Um, the other risk that we run, Dr. Peggy, we can't just look at this incident and try to come up with an overall solution for the country. Mm. Every incident, as you know, are different and unique. Um, they have some common occurrences, but also some unique nuances. Um, in this case, the attacker did not die. He lived. Not only did he live, he actually left the school and was apprehended uh, in a local restaurant. Uh, which is very, very unusual. Um, 95% of shootings are committed by students. I understand he was a former student, but really only a few months removed from being a student. So he, he understood the lay of the land, the lay of that school, where that SRO might be. And by the way, they did have an armed school resource officer on site who was unable to confront the attacker. 
So I know a lot of folks want more police in schools, and they think that's the answer, which I, I understand. But in reality, um, it doesn't guarantee anything. Columbine, there were two armed guards. Virginia Tech, there was an entire campus police unit that was armed, and, and we know the results of that. And, and many, many school shootings, there have been armed SROs. Uh, it's one person to cover an entire facility. Uh, does it help with response time? Absolutely. I shouldn't say absolutely, because in this case in Parkland, that officer was never able to confront the attacker. So an effective security initiative is comprehensive. It involves many, many different components working in synergy. And even if we're doing a handful of these things correctly and effectively, it still does not make a safe school. We have to do all of these things, and we have to follow the best practices. Yeah. Michael, you raised so many outstanding points. I appreciate uh, your point of view and your level of expertise that you're bringing to this conversation because there's so many people out there um, just kind of shooting from the hip and um, based on opinion, based on, as you said, emotions running high, and we really have to slow down and focus, and as you described, uh, look at what are the best practices, what do, what what are the facts? What does the evidence show us are, are the best ways to approach this? I was asked uh, during an interview yesterday about, um, you know, what's, what's causing this? Is it the breakdown of the family unit? And um, my response is there is no one cause. This is a complex problem. We're dealing with complex human behavior. And as you pointed out, every sin- single situation is different. Every school layout and the needs of every school are different. And as you pointed out um, so, so succinct, succinctly, uh, we need a customized solution uh, to address the unique variables in every one of these instances. Uh, and yes, there are some common commonalities, and um, that's where the best practices training comes in, isn't it? Training is the single most important component of an effective security plan. And whether it's at a school, whether it's at a workplace, whether it's at a U.S. embassy, training is the number one most important factor and component, and it should be the first step uh, that a school takes without Mm -hmm. question. Because if you are trained appropriately, that training will allow you to overcome other security gaps. Here's a quick example. If you're a school and you don't have classroom door locks, and you know that you will not have classroom door locks until the following year because of the budget. It's not idyllic. We don't like it, but it's called reality. Mm -hmm. But if you are trained correctly, you can train and plan for that gap in your security. So that's just one quick example. So it truly starts with the training. Now, when we talk about training, it's not just response. What do you do in the event of a school shooting? It's more than that. It's starting at the core root and addressing the core causes of active shooters at schools. Bullying is the number one attributing factor to school shootings. So we have to look at this thing from a social, emotional, mental, and physical perspective. A lot of preparation so students, teachers, everyone in that school, parents, communities, understand the threat indicators, have policies and protocols in place so when we recognize a threat indicator we can take the appropriate action and prevent things from happening this did not happen in parkland conversely since that tragic incident in washington state a grandmother turned in her grandchild who was plotting a school attack 
A person in New Hampshire reported somebody plotting an attack. Just yesterday in Los Angeles, um, I believe it was the Sheriff's Department, uh, was, was, was tipped off to a potential attack. Kids are making threats throughout the United States. Um, it, this is not a joking matter. I'm hearing you know, some of the students saying, no, I didn't mean it. It was a joke. That's not a joke. So we really have to get to the core root problem. When we talk about the advanced training, focusing on the preparation, the mitigation, and, of course, the response. But I would much rather be prepared and prevent and mitigate as many of these things as possible versus knowing what to do when we have to um, deal with one of these tragic incidents. Mm-hmm. Really, the best intervention is prevention. Uh, when we can prevent through education, through training, through awareness, of course, that's one of the reasons I have my show on the uh, on the air, is to um, educate folks, uh, increase awareness, and then offer uh, uh, information on how to respond uh, when these things do occur. And so that's why I've got you on the show today as well. Listeners, this is Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian, and we're taking your calls today as well. Uh, if you have a question for Michael, give us a call at 303-477-5600. I want to um, back up and talk about some of the points that you raised here, Michael, um, especially including recognizing threat indicators. But let's look at a few of the of kind of the facts that are coming out about the case. Um, uh, here's what we know about the assailant and his background, and and I choose not to use their names. The FBI recommends we don't use their names. We don't um, plaster their photo all over the media, making them look like a rock star on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, we, we use the word assailant or offender. We don't say attacker, lone wolf, and those kinds of things that glamorize uh, and put this idea in other people's heads that, you know, I can go out in a blaze of glory like that guy did. I'll be remembered. So we want to minimize, um, of, of course, in, in the news reports, we've got to say who this person is, their age, and, and that, those details. But we want to minimize how much we're glorifying this person. Uh, what we do know about the assailant's background was that um, he, he uh, was living with a family that had taken him in after his parents died. His mom recently died. Uh, there were reports that he had a fascination with violence and had um, um, introduced himself uh, to a former classmate as a school shooter. He was posting um, photos on social media of himself in kind of commando style um, uh, photos with weapons. Uh, and so we know that uh, this is just a backdrop. Any one of these things in and of itself really doesn't necessarily mean someone's going to become violent. Uh, but these are things that were known, and some of them reported to the FBI, and uh, nothing was done. And uh, in the advanced training that SSI Guardian offers, uh, you talk about behaviors of concern, uh, that when you see something, we should say something. That's a slogan of, the, of Homeland Security, isn't it? It is a slogan from DHS, um, and as simple as that sounds, it works because it, it is very simple to remember. Um, it, it is deep-rooted in, in a methodology um, that does make sense. If you see something that doesn't seem right, don't worry. It's not, our, it's not your job as a civilian to figure out if it's right or not. All you know is your instincts are telling you something is not right. So my message to all of your great listeners, don't hesitate to contact law enforcement uh, when you have that feeling. When you see something, you do need to say something. Again, the, I referenced a couple recent examples. Um, this works, but everybody has to do that. And, and uh, one of the, 
this week I, I met somebody in the media, their own daughter. They live in Parkland. And after the event, she saw his, his daughter, who is, I think, 13 or 14. She saw something on social media, and she was apprehensive to report it because she didn't want to be a tattletale. Mm-hmm. Uh, the father didn't have a problem reporting it. He called the police, let them know, and they had already been tipped off, and they were already on the event addressing this potential threat. So we have to do that at work, in school, in the public domain. If we see something, we, we, we can't be afraid. We're not asking people to confront that person that they're suspicious. Uh, actually, we're not suggesting that at all. That's the last thing you want to do is to put yourself in harm's way. But you need to report these things. Mm-hmm. And we know uh, from the uh, FBI um, report on um, safe school, the Safe School Initiative report, the majority of school shootings, someone knew about the assailant's plans before they attacked the school. And uh, in many cases, more than one person knew, and yet they didn't say anything. Often it was a peer, a classmate. And so, again, not only are we educating adults, obviously, about the need to, um, if you see behaviors of concern, to to make a report, but we also need to get that message to students. Uh, And we're not profiling. We're not uh, pigeonholing. We're not stereotyping. We're looking at behaviors that are concerning, that are associated with an increase in risk and that someone's moving on a path to violence. Uh, And certainly there are times where you might have a relationship with someone where you're seeing that um, there's a change in their mood, a change in their behavior. Um, They're making comments about wanting to harm themselves or others. And you might have a rapport with that person, ask them, you know, you just made this comment on social media. What did you mean by that? And so it's not always just some stranger that we're seeing something and saying something. It might be someone near and dear to our hearts. And so uh, we really have to empower folks, um, adults and students alike, uh, to, to be concerned about folks and not see it as snitching or, as you said, you know, tattletaling. And in this case, there were multiple signs that this event should have never, ever taken place. Um, but between this person's disturbed um, past, um, abusive to animals, abusive to other students, uh, a long history. So when we talk about behavior, this wasn't somebody having a bad day that did something bad once in 19 years. This was a... This was a continual display of concerning behavior. And when you publicly state, I am a professional school shooter, Mm -hmm. um, that is cause for law enforcement to take action. Absolutely. Um, He said, I think I'm going to kill people, posted about killing small animals, um, had an interest in um, assault-style weapons, body armor. Racism was a constant theme in the chat groups where he was a member. Uh, violent wishes being expressed um, towards different groups. Uh, those are all signs, behaviors of concern. Uh, Michael, uh, you were talking about all the number of um, school threats that have been uh, reported and uh, attacks towards schools reported and, and um, incidents actually thwarted. Um, since last week's uh, shooting in Florida, the number of threats of violence against schools across the country has increased. Uh, NPR reported uh, that Educator School Safety Network 
uh, has recorded about 50 threats a day on average since the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, compared to normally about 10 threats a day on average before the shooting. Uh, Last week, uh, two days after the Florida shooting, uh, NPR reported a school security officer overheard a student threatening to open fire at El Camino High School in California. Uh, Reportedly, a 17-year-old male student was overheard saying he was going to shoot up the school sometime in the next three weeks. Now, as you pointed out, the students may say later it was a joke, uh, but a search of his home turned up some uh, assault-style weapons and a lot of ammunition, and um, so they feel that perhaps that was thwarted. I could go on with uh, these different cases. Uh, we know that people are need to be uh, careful with their language. Uh, back when I was growing up, Michael, we were cautioned not to joke uh, when you're going through security at the airport. And that's still true today. And I think we have to send right. that same message. If we're telling people, if you see something, say something, uh, we have to also take responsibility not to joke about these things so that when someone makes a certain comment that's concerning, we should follow up, we should report it, we should have the appropriate authorities do a threat assessment. Uh, we have about a minute left before we go to break. What are your thoughts about that, Michael? I totally agree, Dr. Peggy. Um, this is not a laughing matter. Yeah. It's a very serious matter and some things you just do not joke about, uh, especially in a, in a public forum such as social media or at a school. We also know through student interviews who, who knew this person, they weren't surprised. And there, there are numerous quotes out there. Yeah, we always knew that if we were going to be shot mm. at our school, it would be from him. Uh, he was an odd duck. There was all these, again, concerning signs. And to your earlier point, it's really more, it is easier to identify concerning behavior with someone that we know, that we're close with, versus a stranger because you don't know that person. So to some extent, if somebody walks through and it's 92 degrees in Miami and they're walking in a trench coat, uh, that's probably a sign that that it's not normal and they're going to stick out. But people that we're close to, any any change in baseline behavior, um, the alert flag should go up. Absolutely. And we'll look at more of uh, those uh, behaviors of concern, what's referred to as leakage, uh, where people who are planning a violent attack often let subtle hints go as we're talking about social media. Uh, we'll talk about what that leakage looks like and what we can do about it. My guest is Michael Yorio. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Stay with us. We'll be back. Studies show that safety greatly impacts student learning and a teacher's ability to do what they do best. Be it broken furniture, a leaking roof, or more serious threat of violence, the 21st Century Safe School by School Specialty addresses school safety from the emotional, social, and physical perspective. Don't wait another moment. Call 877-878-5800 or visit ssiguardian.com. What if a psychologist with years of experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? 
And what if that book provided effective strategies for experiencing lasting change? That's exactly what you get with Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Celebrating 10 years in print, this self-help classic shares critical insights to help you understand and overcome the three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your connection to your true self and others. In the easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Pegg clearly communicates fundamental principles and strategies for change and personal transformation. Read Do Something Different for a Change today and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradio.com slash books to purchase your copy today. Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 Security Consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. And if you're feeling stuck and ready for change, I'd like to invite you to my personal transformation retreat on Saturday, March 3rd, 2018 in Denver. If you want change in one or more areas of your life and feeling stuck and need strategies to move forward, join me for a full day, day of refreshing, reflection, and focus. That's Saturday, March 3rd in Denver. Register at drpegonline.com slash retreat. So we're talking about last week's tragic shooting at Douglas High School uh, in Parkland, Florida, where 17 were killed and many injured and there's stories of heroism coming out especially uh, uh, one particular um, assistant football coach uh, shielded um, his students and unfortunately perished in that act, heroic act of bravery um, my guest today is Michael Yorio president of SSI Guardian and if you want to share this interview with a friend or loved one go to drpegradio.com for the program archives if you'd like to call in and ask a question today our number is 303-477-5600. So, Michael Yorio, thanks so much for coming back on the show. And uh, you're right there on the ground in, in Florida. We appreciate your perspective and expertise today. Always happy to be here, Dr. Pegg. Thanks so much. So we're, we were talking about behaviors of concern right before uh, the break. And uh, we know that in the majority of these school shootings uh, that uh, other people knew about the assailants' plans before they were acted out, they were executed, and yet often no one said anything. In many cases, more than one person even knew. And so we really have to um, raise awareness. I think this unfortunate tragedy in Florida really uh, drives home the point. We have to raise awareness to learn what are these behaviors of concern and help people feel empowered that they can and should say and do something, and then how to go about that. Uh, we don't want people to lose confidence. Uh, when the FBI kind of admitted they dropped the ball, we still have to make these reports. That's how so many of these um, uh, threats that we've seen just in the last week uh, have been thwarted. Some of them may have been jokes, but some of them may have really been carried out. We've got to recognize the signs, don't we? 
We do, and that's really where it all starts. When we talk about evidence-based advanced training, the operative word, evidence-based, I know that's two words, but evidence-based, uh, it can't just be any training that's maybe off the shelf or not vetted and verified. The training needs to be based on fact, needs to be based on best practice, which includes understanding these threat indicators. So people, there's a big uh, misconception out there that training means having your local police come in and do a do a active shooter exercise. So we're practicing escaping evacuation, and we're going to come in with um, you know simulated weapons and smoke bombs and props, and we're going to play and play dead for a while. That does nothing to prepare a school. A school needs to, to focus on preparation. Mm-hmm. Such a good point, because that, that really is uh, that knee-jerk reaction. People uh, see what just happened, and it could even be in the workplace. There are many listeners who may not have uh, school-age children, but they're concerned about their own safety in the workplace. And so there's this reactive uh, approach to, to training. We've got to do something. Let's just get someone in here. And, of course, it's great to have a partnership with your local law enforcement, have them come in, meet them, have them walk through your school, help you see what some of the vulnerabilities are. But your point is that we really need to make sure it's the right training, not just any training, kind of in a knee-jerk reaction. Educators and in the workforce, civilians require a completely different type of training than law enforcement. Law enforcement is trained to be reactive. They are trained professionals who are trained appropriately to take out a threat. If you think about it, we're always calling the police after something happens, whether we're in an accident, uh, it's a domestic uh, 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 dispute, if it's a robbery, what have you. They're always responding. That's the way they're trained. We absolutely encourage schools and workplaces to collaborate with their police and local first responders. My point is, They train differently, and a lot of schools and companies make this mistake. When we talk to them about your active shooter preparation, they tell us, yeah, we've we've had our local police come in, and they run the exercise, and it was really scary, and they didn't learn anything. It's a different sort of training. Now, that's great practice for the police, so there's absolutely no harm in having the police conduct their exercises, their exercises, at your school or place of business so that they are familiar with your facility, so that in the event they have to respond, there's a much greater comfort level with that. So we implore that. Involve, they're, they're called external stakeholders when you're planning, excuse me, when you're creating your emergency operations plan. You want your police and EMS and fire involved with that because these are the individuals that will be coming to your rescue. So it's important that everybody's on the same page. But we have to make that distinction between civilian training, which schools need, and professional law enforcement training, which schools do not need. We're not teaching teachers or training teachers or employees, and especially students, to go after that threat. They want to create as much separation as possible between them and that threat. Mm-hmm. And if I could add something else kind of off topic here, but I, I just got this update, Dr. Peggy. Um, Parkland, there was a 30-minute lapse on the video coverage, meaning the security cameras were 30 minutes behind. Mm. So I know as, as a country, we've invested probably hundreds of millions of dollars in surveillance cameras for schools. The software is a very, very important part of that. So again, it's this false sense of security. We have cameras. We have an SRO. 
30 minutes behind, the police were getting inaccurate intel. Mm -hmm. They didn't know where the attacker or, or the assailant was, which is why he was able to escape. Right, right. And so, again, that the best practices, evidence-based training, is not just about security cameras and technology and school resource officers being at their post. It really is also, as we've been talking about, recognizing those risk indicators, uh, threat indicators, and knowing what to do about them, how to respond, and then also having appropriate uh, training in terms of active shooter response. Uh, before we look a little bit more in detail about what good good active shooter response should look like in lockdowns and and hiding. We've, we've mentioned a couple of those things. I want to back up and, and just give a, a, a quick overview of some of those uh, behaviors of concern and uh, what we call leakage. Um, and so there's something known as the injustice collector, someone who's always feeling like it's everyone else's fault and everyone's against them. That's a, a big red flag, someone who's very suspicious, very intolerant. Uh, making dehumanizing comments about others, showing no empathy towards different groups, uh, feeling a sense of entitlement, and then coupling that with this interest and kind of preoccupation with uh, violent entertainment, violent themes, the commando-style dress or persona, and then a, a hopelessness, despair, uh, making posts on social media to that effect, and certainly posting um, as we discussed already, saying, I am a school shooter, or posting a manifesto. Those are all behaviors of concern that if anyone who's listening sees any of those kinds of signs, that should always be something that's reported. And so that's an important part of good best practices, evidence-based training. Uh, so, Michael, let's talk about some of the things that you raised in terms of the cameras. Um, many schools across the country have had active shooter training. They've even had the drills. Um, in this case, the assailant was a former student, and he was actually recognized by a school employee. Uh, he had been expelled for uh, unspecified disciplinary reasons. Um, the folks were warned, if you ever see him on campus with a backpack, you know, make sure you report that. Um, so the employee alerted a colleague that this former student was, uh, I read a quote, walking purposefully toward the school building, and um, he, he, he was recognized. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, you, if you have cameras and they are live and there's no 30-minute delay, uh, talk a little bit about this insider threat versus outsider threat um, that you said most shooters are, most assailants are um, current students. Uh, but in this case, even though he was a recent student, he was not a current student, yet he had a lot of fam familiarity with the school, with the, um, the drills and the protocols. Uh, he knew exactly where people would be and how to pull the fire alarm. Talk a little bit about that insider versus outsider or internal versus external threat. Well, maybe a delay there with Michael on the cell phone. Are you there, Can Michael? You hear me now? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Great. Thank you. School security is complex. Schools must prepare for both internal and external threats. Um, it, it is not easy. That's why it's imperative that the best practices are followed to make it less complex. So if we're preparing, let's talk about cameras real quick. Cameras do absolutely nothing to prevent an attack from happening, from any incident from happening. They are used in the investigative phase. Now, if you have certain software, could that camera uh, track the assailant? It possibly could. 
I will tell you, most schools do not have that. And even if it did, it's not saving people's lives. Uh, it could benefit police uh, once they get there, uh, if they have the effective information to know where that uh, person is. Um, but again, they're, they're used primarily for the investigative phase. So that, that, that it's good for some, I'm not saying don't have cameras. We have to put all of this into perspective. It's not going to make your school safe. It's just not. So the internal threat, we have to look at things, as you mentioned a couple times, the, the threat indicators, behavior. We have to prepare and have the policies and protocols in place. Uh, external threats, I'm, I'm hearing a ton about now, especially in, in Florida, we need more perimeter security, more fences around the schools. We need better access control. That's not going to stop a bad person. Now, that's good for everyday people. We want to keep bad people out of schools. So those things can help with the external threats. But if we're talking about school shootings, 95% are students. And, again, even though this, this, is, this person was a former student, he's a few months out, which uh, I would make the argument he was a student. He knew where to go. He knew what to do. He probably knew where that SRO was going to be at that time of the day. And these are common things that happen. So right now in Florida, they announced this morning that all Broward County schools will have deputies from the Broward County Sheriff's Office armed with rifles. Okay. Yes, this is action. This is what we need. This, but let's be realistic here. The fact of the matter is, per the report, these rifles will be stored in squad cars parked outside and locked up until they can get gun safes in the school. So if something happens, that deputy needs to leave the school. So now he or she is not confronting that threat. They're going out to their car to retrieve that rifle, to come back into the school. And depending upon the size of the school, even with a small venue, that's valuable time that's being lost retrieving a weapon. The well, weapon could also be stolen. It's in a parked car outside. Mm-hmm. So once you get the gun safes, again, you're placing a weapon inside of that school with the potential of it being stolen and used for nefarious reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, that's why it's so important to have a comprehensive um, approach, a comprehensive view that's evidence-based, best practices. Uh, my guest is Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian, and this is this is what you do as uh, president of SSI Guardian. This is this is uh, part of the training and education and awareness uh, that you go around the country sharing with everyone. Uh, I want to kind of um, break down some of the things that I read about that were occurring and how students and teachers were responding so that we can take an opportunity to um, educate the public. Uh, Anytime one of these unfortunate events happen, uh, we're not casting blame. The students and teachers did the best they knew how to do, but it always is an opportunity for us to look at what was done and what can be done and ask these what-if questions at your school, because as you pointed out, Michael, every school is different and every single situation is going to be different. Uh, But one of the things that we, we heard coming out of the school was that there had been a fire drill earlier that day, uh, that the assailant pulled the fire alarm, um, and students were really confused, thinking, what's going on? Why are we having another fire drill? Um, Some students reported hearing what they described as firecrackers, and we hear that often. Uh, Talk about um, uh, uh, how important it is to, to learn that when you hear what you think are firecrackers, make the assumption that that is 
uh, an assault on the school and, and to go into a, um, a active shooter uh, protocol. More often than not, if you hear the sound of firecrackers, ex- ex- excluding a 4th of July or perhaps New Year's Eve celebration where you know that fireworks are present, it's probably not firecrackers. Mm-hmm. And that's when your training needs to kick in and you need to, if you have the opportunity, evacuate. Having said that, that's not always an option that you're going to have. So it's about being empowered with options and selecting the best option at that point of time. If you do not have a clear evacuation route, then you're going you're going want you're going to want to enter into the lockdown phase. But we hear lockdown a lot, and but here's the thing with lockdowns: there's a correct way of locking down and an incorrect way. Let me share the correct way with with the listeners here. Mm-hmm. In a classroom environment, in a lockdown situation, obviously you want to lock the door, but it's about having the right equipment. You need to have a deadbolt lock on that door with a push button. The benefit of the deadbolt is you're getting maximum locking protection. An inexpensive latch lock is not going to keep a bad person out. They will break right through that door. Where a deadbolt will give you very, very stable protection. The advantage of the red button Excuse me, anybody in that room can lock the door. Remove the human error and panic factor that through panic, people panic, and, and even the best trained professionals may panic in a high stress situation. Nobody truly knows how they will react unless they're in that life and death situation. You could stumble with your keys, not get the key in. Could be that one day in your life that you forgot the key or the key fell out of the, a bunch of stuff could happen. So press the red button, lock the door. You want to have a lockdown shade. So if you think about a, a dark-colored um, stage, if you look at school auditoriums, they have the um, curtains in the auditorium. They're called lockdown shades. You want to pull that over the window or the sidelight on the classroom door, which exists in virtually every school for child safety reasons. In Parkland, at, at Douglas High, he shot through one of these windows now, if all the windows were blacked out and all the doors were locked with deadbolt protection, he doesn't know where anybody's at. From there, back back to the lockdown, you want to turn out the lights. You want to remain quiet. You want to silence your cell phones. People are, are texting and, and, and calling folks, giving parents updates, maybe even law enforcement, 911. If your phone goes off or on a text message, that assailant could hear you. Mm-hmm. And he's going to find you. So this is something that's not intuitive. So unless you've been trained and taught and practiced to silence your cell phone in this incident, many people, will, they're just not going to do it. Right. And Michael, we saw all the reports, the photos. Students were tweeting. They were texting. They were Snapchatting. They were talking on the phone to parents and loved ones. Uh, we saw photos that they were taking uh, saying that they were in lockdown. They were terrified. They were hiding under desks and chairs in plain view, and bullets were shot through the walls, uh, injuring at least one student uh, while one of her classmates texted about it, uh, was one of the articles I read. And so talk about not only the proper way to do the lockdown, to lock the door, but also um, uh, how we should be hiding. And and actually, let's talk about that after the break. Uh, We're going to go to a A quick break. My guest is Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. When we come back, we'll talk about what should we be doing behind that locked door? 
how should we be hiding? What's the proper way to um, to conceal ourselves and take cover? This is Living Well with Dr. Peg. We'll be right back. Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Do you ever make changes, but after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into your old behaviors and patterns? If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join me for a one-day, do-something-different-for-a-change, personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Contact me today to schedule your own private VIP, do something different for a change, personal transformation retreat. Go to drpegradio.com retreat. everyone. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. And my guest today is Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. Thanks so much, Michael, for providing such uh, accurate information and much-needed information. My pleasure, Dr. Peg. And, Michael, how can folks reach out to you and uh, learn more about SSI Guardian? The best way is to go to our website at SSIGuardian.com. Uh, they will find a plethora of uh, these best practices discussed in detail, uh, video, downloadable collaterals, and a way to contact us directly. Uh, our phone number also, toll-free, 877-878-5800. Great. Thank you so much. Um, well, we're talking about um, the proper way to do a lockdown in a school, and you talked about having a deadbolt lock, deadbolt lock that's easy for anyone to lock because we panic. Um, you might think it would be easy. We've seen a lot of the gadgets and we've seen some of the makeshift devices that people use in a pinch to lock a door, and that's great. That's innovative in, in an emergency. But in terms of planning and preparation, having the proper lock for lockdown, but then performing lockdown in the proper way. The videos, the um, photos were disturbing. Just the fact that kids were um, on their phones and taking photos and they were out in plain view, hiding under a desk um, with their legs hanging out. Again, not to criticize kids, but um, we need to have proper training of um, when we are hiding and cannot evacuate, what's the right way to do it? And all of those examples that, that you just shared um, indicate 
inconsistencies in training. Um, and I'm not placing fault on the students either. They, they do as they did the best they could. Do. Yeah, they did the best they could. But again, it suggests strongly suggests inconsistencies in training, meaning some people did exactly what they were, what they should be doing. And other people did not. You never, ever, ever want to put yourself at risk by trying to film or video or take a picture, uh, of a school shooter. You just you want to create as much separation as possible. So that tells me that they were not uh, advised uh, of creating that space. Uh, and it's concerning. That's, that's the absolute last thing you, that you ever want to do. Um, don't, uh, don't play the hero card. You getting that picture is not going to help anybody. Uh, it's going to put your, your, your life in danger. So again, the best practice that you want to do there is create as much separation between yourself and that shooter, you want to convert bad time into good time. Bad time is uh, during the event when the bad things are happening, such as you're in the midst of a violent attack, such as a school shooting, or the shooter is coming in your direction. This is all bad time. So how to convert that bad time into good time? By locking down, by hiding, by evacuating, by creating that separation between you and the threat for as long as possible until law enforcement can get there and do what they have been trained to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, I read one report that uh, junior ROTC students hid behind Kevlar sheets, and their thinking was that that would slow the bullets down. Um, one of the teachers uh, hid in a large closet with nearly 20 of, our, of her students that she brought from out of the hallway. Can you talk about, you're saying put distance between you and the assailant, uh, but talk about um, thinking in advance uh, the what if someone were to be outside this door, this locked door even, or maybe it's not locked and we're, we're barricading it. Talk about um, cover, taking cover versus simply concealment, because obviously we don't want to be in plain view, but we also want to make sure that we're safe when we're hiding. And these individuals did the right, right thing, uh, hiding in a closet so that you, you, you cannot be seen, um, hiding behind Kevlar sheets. Um, so that is uh, initiative. It's creative thinking. Maybe they had practiced that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the criticality of the advanced training, that it's not just being trained once and never thinking about it, hoping that you may remember it if you ever have to use it, but it's about that continual practice. Uh, so that's really my point with the, in my professional opinion, inconsistency. Some people did an outstanding job. They, they did what they should be doing, and others did not. Uh, what we know with schools, sometimes they'll have an active shooter training four years ago. And, yeah, we're, we're, you're not trained. It has to be on an ongoing basis. You have turnover. You have new students. Um, so the, the evidence-based training is really the only training that should ever be considered in a school setting. Some schools like to implement, it, it's, a, it's a model, it's an approach called train the trainer. It, it's ineffective. So here's how that would work. Let's send 10 of our teachers, we're a big school, let's send 10 of our teachers and administrators and employees, 10 out of maybe 500 and they're going to go through training, and they're going to come back and then train the rest of us because that's what they do. They're teachers. These are intelligent people. They know how to teach. They know how to share information with others, which is all true. However, it's a subject that they don't have a functional background or understanding in. 
someone, listen, I, I'm not a tech guy. I could attend a month <laughs> morning till night training on technology. I'm not the person that you want teaching you about technology. And so it, it's really no different in safety, although in safety people can lose their life or become seriously injured. So the stakes are too high to for a lackadaisical approach to this. It has to be a serious approach. Um, we hear funding obstacles a lot. Quite candidly, schools need to find a way to fund the appropriate solutions, be it evidence-based training, products, etc. And there are ways to do that. There are grants available. Uh, there's community outreach with their local businesses. There are fundraising events people can do. Uh, and effective security uh, can be cost-effective. It doesn't have to cost a million dollars. Uh, we talk about our 21st century safe classroom, three products. I don't think I got to the third, the, the push-button lock, the lockdown shade, the stop-the-bleed kit that goes inside the classroom. This is cost-effective. In some cases, the spend for the school under $20 per student. I, I'm pretty sure in, in, in a lot of communities, uh, parents could raise, whether they're, they're selling candy bars or magazines or, or whatever they're doing online, crowd, crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, $20 a student. So it's not as expensive as, as, as some people have been led to believe that, oh, it costs millions of dollars to secure and it's not in the budget. Absolutely not the case. And when, when schools are looking at these expenditures, and as I call them, investments mm -hmm. in the preservation of innocent life, you don't want to go with the lowest cost. There's a reason for that. It's no different if you're having your kitchen remodeled and you get three bids and one guy is significantly lower than the other two. There's probably a reason for that. And it's either his craftsmanship, it's either the quality of materials, his credibility. So you always want to look for these things. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Michael, there, there's existing funding at schools, at every single school, for a variety of learning initiatives and programs. And what educators need to understand is that when students don't feel safe, they cannot learn. And so thinking about safety as an integral part of learning, an absolute, absolute essential foundation and element for learning to create an environment where students can learn, uh, they already have existing budgets for that, don't they? They do. And because I'm just going to talk about our training, because of our professional development continuing education unit award, it is title two eligible, meaning professional development funding dollars can be used for this type of training. To your point, it, it's built into the school district's budget. Almost every district has professional development included in their annual budget. And you're absolutely right. Safety impacts learning. It impacts attendance. Many schools, that those are their performance barometers, test scores and attendance, which could predicate and impact their funding if they have to meet certain thresholds. So it, it really it impacts everything that we do. Um, and, and experts argue that you cannot have a 21st century learning experience without safety being present. UC Davis a couple years ago did a study on this. They do a direct correlation between student safety and truancy. And when kids didn't feel safe, and whether that was the threat of a, a leaky roof, a broken chair, something more serious like a school shooter or being bullied, 
they were more likely to miss school. And if you miss too much school, your grades suffer. Uh, if you miss extreme amounts of school, uh, dropout rates actually increase. So this, this can have a lifelong impact on innocent young children. Mm-hmm. And so not only just uh, not feeling safe, you may not come to school, but just the anxiety around feeling unsafe at school. Uh, I, we all saw the images of these students running for their lives away from the school. We saw them being interviewed um, in the aftermath. Uh, the, the grief and the terror on their faces. We're seeing them uh, days later, a week later, talking about the loved ones, their, their fellow students and their beloved teachers who've been, who were uh, killed. Uh, and so just not feeling safe to even go back to school, uh, even if you do go and you're not truant and you're not absent, that those levels of anxiety are certainly going to affect learning and performance and their overall well-being. Yes, and you know, when we listen to the students interviewed from, from Douglas High, um, they're speaking about this. Um, people are saying, I, I can never go back to that school again. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, you and I had interviewed uh, one of your guests, Lisa Hamp, a survivor of Virginia Tech, uh, who's a adult, who is a mother now, and she still deals with this on a fairly frequent basis, as most uh, survivors do. Um, they have survival guilt. Um, it's just, it, it's a traumatic experience. And so when we talked about this on my show last week, uh, the, uh, the uh, recovery from the trauma. And so again, looking at comprehensive training around safety, it's not only about the active shooter response and evacuating and having the right equipment. It's also about prevention and recognizing uh, threat indicators and behaviors of concern uh, and also, if this does happen, um, and some experts say it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, but if it does happen at your school, how do you recover from it? And so that's also part of comprehensive safety training, isn't it? It is, and it needs to be part of that overall safe school initiative. How do you deal with, with these events, mm-hmm. um, whether it's grieving and bereavement, um, counseling, whatever that might be, it needs to be part of it. So, again, we need to look at school safety from a holistic standpoint that is true, and these aren't buzzwords, that is truly comprehensive. Mm-hmm. It's many moving parts working together, and that's that's why it's so imperative that school administrators have these best practice guidelines to give them the best possible guidance and direction as possible. We're asking educators to do almost the impossible uh, they, they are trained educators. They know how to teach. They know how to run educational facilities. They're not security folks, but now they're being asked, hey, you have to secure your school now. Mm. And by the way, it's very difficult, and the threat is ever-changing, and okay, where do I even start? So it's important that we have this guidance given to our school leaders so they can make the best informed decision for their particular facility. Mm-hmm. And so they're already doing professional development to, to maintain their expertise in, in the discipline in which they're teaching, math or science, social studies. And so to ask them, to expect them to stay up to date on whatever the latest security developments are and and how to implement that really is, is asking a lot uh, of educators. And so to be able to have a solution that really dovetails well with the 21st century learning 
practices that educators are embracing today. Uh, talk about the 21st century safe school uh, by, by school specialty and SSI guardian, in addition to the quick ac- action lockdown, the window shades, the um, stop the bleed kits. Uh, it's attending to other aspects of safety, not just physical safety. The 21st century safe school focuses on safety and learning from the social, emotional, mental, and physical perspective. School Specialty is the parent company of SSI Guardian. And because of that, being a leader in the space for over 59 years, uh, we have various solutions, and we are in the unique position to present this solution uh, to the educational community, from early childhood to special needs curriculum, products, and solutions, to furniture, to safety and security, to STEM curriculum to a myriad of things, physical education programs and equipment that all work in synergy together because safety is not just about protecting against a violent attack. It is also the safety and learning environment, furniture that's not falling apart, furniture that's uh, appropriate to, uh, let's say, an eighth grader that's maybe growing fast, a a very tall uh, student that maybe they're not comfortable because the furniture was not designed for them. It has nothing to do with their capability to learn, but they are distracted, they're uncomfortable, they're fidgeting. That will impact learning. It's not fair to that student. So the 21st Century Safe School is really um, a solution for learning, uh, understanding that uh, students need to feel safe emotionally, socially, where they feel safe from bullying, um, mentally, and of course, also physically, which is on everyone's radar today. Um, such uh, valuable information. Michael Yuri, I really appreciate your perspective uh, that we really have to make sure that we're getting best practice, evidence-based uh, training from folks who have the experience and the expertise to deliver that training. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Peggy. Uh, again, uh, it's always a pleasure, um, but we're going to have to find some other topics, hopefully, to talk about. Uh, we, we don't want another event to happen. Unfortunately, education is the second most impacted mm-hmm. vertical, uh, second only to business when it comes to mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the latest numbers came out 2000 to 2016, 21.8% of events took place in schools. Yeah. Well, Michael, thanks so much for your expertise and your insights. I appreciate you being with me today. Thank you, Dr. Page. Stay safe. Thank you. Well, listeners, uh, you heard the information. It's important to learn to recognize behaviors of concern and signs students are in distress and learn how to respond, how to refer for help, how to report that to law enforcement. My guest has been Michael Yorio. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark reminding you to live well. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.